Oh, it is on this morning. Good morning all. My name is Clay, if we haven't met before. Last week, we returned to our series on the Great Commandment and began looking at what it means to love God with all of our mind. Today I want to pick up from a point that we left off with last week, and that was with Jesus' powerful words of surrender, not my will, but yours. These words were recorded in Luke chapter 22 from verse 42. Father, Jesus prayed that night before his crucifixion. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Not my will, but yours be done. I've said words like that before, but I've never said it in a context where my life was actually on the line and the fate that was awaiting me was the most horrifying fate that I could imagine. I've said the words, I want God's will for my life. But is what I then go out and do actually a fulfillment of that profession? Surely this was not a simple matter even for Jesus. What did it mean for Jesus to lay down his own will and choose to follow the path that his Father had set before him? How was he able to do this? How can we do this? How can we submit our will under God's and love him with all of our mind? Jesus' anguish that night in the garden clearly illustrates his humanity. Now, I don't, I don't know how you picture and imagine Jesus when you think of him. I've historically tended to emphasize more the divine aspects of Jesus, that he's just the best at everything, and he never has any doubts. He's always confident in every situation because he knows who he is. I think I prefer to think of him that way rather than think about the fact that he came in flesh and coming in flesh means something. And what it meant that night was he was scared. He was in anguish. I don't quite get the physiological response that would cause his, his sweat to be like blood. But that night was a hard night for a man who was also God. The path he saw the Father laying out before him was a hard one. Harder than anything 
that we've faced, I'm sure. But that moment, Jesus was able to overcome the limitations of his humanity and his human thinking and submit himself to the will of the Father. A hard will to follow. How was this possible? I think firstly, that Jesus knew his Father. In Matthew 11.27, Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And in John 1.18, Jesus says, No one has even seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. Jesus alone knows the Father and he has made him known to us by revealing the Father through himself, through his teaching, through his life. And so he can say in John 14, 7, if you really know me, then you know the Father. Knowing God means you know his character. It means knowing that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that he fulfills his promises, that he loves his children and wants only the best for them, that he has a plan, the best plan for us, that he will work for our good and for our, our sanctification through all the circumstances that he allows us, and in fact leads us to journey through. Knowing that any hardship and suffering that he allows is for our ultimate benefit. Knowing him means knowing that any hardship and suffering he allows will do a work in us. That he alone has all knowledge and the vantage point to see how our choices and the choices of those around us will affect our lives and the impact that can have on our eternity. We have all heard the wisdom of Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, nor your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Maybe you've got that on a tea towel or a small plaque in the kitchen. That's a good one. But how do you come how do you come to trust God? We can trust him and follow him because we know him. Jesus used the analogy of a shepherd and a sheep to describe this in John chapter ten, from verse two. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. God's will is found in following Jesus because Jesus only does the will of the Father, and he only speaks the words that the Father gives him to speak. And this is how we can come to know 
the Father through him. Knowing him means knowing his character, and from that revealed and experienced knowledge, we can put our faith in his leadership and follow his will as he reveals it to us. God's will flows in harmony from his nature. He will never be in conflict with his nature. He can't be. And his will becomes increasingly clear the more that we come to know him. I have lost count of the number of messages that we have preached on this, and I've been told that people are bored of hearing about knowing God. We preach knowing him because everything comes back to knowing him. Not knowing about him, but knowing him the way that Jesus knew his father. Knowing a knowledge that is experienced and lived out through us, not just a, a set of doctrines. This isn't something you can just study. It's something that you've got to walk in relationship with him to find. Conversely, not truly knowing God has the opposite effect. As Jesus prophesied in John 16, verse 2 to 3, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Who's the they here? Try the guy that's going to eventually become the Apostle Paul. He's one of those guys killing the disciples of Christ and thinking the whole time he is doing a service to God. Because at this time, this devout follower of God called Saul, he didn't know the Father. He had a knowledge of his word, but not in a way that transformed him. And so he can go out there and even kill, and in the name of God, thinking he's doing God's work. But the whole time he is in opposition to the will of God. And that's how you end up with the Westboro Baptist Church hatefully protesting the funerals of fallen soldiers. That's how you get the Crusades during the Dark Ages. That's how you get professing Christians slaughtering their neighbors in the hundreds of thousands in Rwanda. If you don't truly know God, then you can't truly know his word. You can't know his will. It's that simple. So Jesus knew his father. Not only did he know him, but he trusted in him. He trusted that his father loved him. He trusted that his father knew best. Do you trust God like that? I know I want to. 
I want to trust him like that. And I'm at a place now in my life where I need to trust him. It seems to a level that I haven't had to for a while. And my flesh rises up in a time of uncertainty. And I consider myself to be quite a capable guy. I start thinking about the moves I can make. And how I can pull myself out of where I am and set myself up going forward. Think about planning my future. Think about the security I need to build around myself and my family now that God's not watching over me because I'm not working for the church. Is that how it works? I need to be able to trust in him. Not in the strength of man or the strength of horses, but in him. As much as I did when I was in fully uh, supported ministry, when I had to raise my own, my own salary and God was there the whole time, I need to trust him just as much now, if not more. Do I trust him? Do I trust that he has a plan and that his plan is best? And not just for his kingdom, but for me as well. I have a tendency to, to think more bigger picture. What's God doing with his church? What's he doing with the kingdom? And in the position of leadership and ministry, I could have a tendency sometimes to not see people as pawns, but see kind of more the role that they can play in fulfilling the vision that God has given us. And that is not the way that God sees his people. And I need to resist the temptation to see myself that way as well. It, it is all about the kingdom. But the kingdom is made up of millions and millions of sons and daughters of God, each of which he knows intimately, each of which he knows every hair on their head each of which he loves as far as love can be. And he wants the best for each of his children. And all of that fits into his plan for the kingdom as well. They're not mutually exclusive. In submitting to and following the Father's plan, Jesus was choosing the kingdom over his own physical best interests. That's for sure. But also in submitting to follow the Father's plan for the kingdom, he was choosing the best path that was ultimately for his glory. For the path that the Father had laid out for the Son was the path of his ultimate glory. And likewise for us, eternal glory is found only in the Father's will. So ultimately the physical is only a shadow of the eternal of the spiritual. That's what really matters. And Jesus was prepared, prepared to lay that down because he knew his father, he trusted him, and he knew that what God had for him was the best. We see this pattern fleshed out time and time again throughout Scripture. Men and women of God who persevered through seasons of suffering, obediently following God's will as he revealed it to them. And the reward for their submission was a reward, even on earth, that was way beyond their wildest dreams. And this, of course, was 
it was just the shadow, once again, on earth of a reward they would receive in heaven. But men like Noah and Job and Joseph and David, they had hard lives. They had to make hard decisions to follow God when they knew they were walking into fire. They were walking into trial and tribulation. Situations where if God didn't come through, they would die. Probably die horribly. Sitting in a pit, sitting in prison, sitting at the back of a cave, cave, pretending to be insane so that no one would kill him. But at the end of that, of that obedience, trusting in God's will was glory, was the best possible outcome that a young shepherd could become the king of Israel. that the 11th son could become the ruler of Egypt. That old Noah could become the vehicle to save humanity. For many others, they did not get to experience the reward that God had for them on this earth, but they went to their graves with hopeful expectation for what they would receive in eternity. Men like Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and John the Baptist, and every one of the disciples who walked with Jesus. Submitting to God's will requires you to know God's will. And to know God's will, you need to know Him. And you need a renewed mind. This has been my struggle just for years having a sense of what he's trying to say, but processing it through, first of all, my mind and not my spirit, but processing it through my old thinking, having not really submitted my mind to him. And this is what this is all about. Operating under the old paradigm of the world that I was raised in. Romans 12.2 reads, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Spells it out in black and white. His will is found when we have a renewed mind, a new mind, the mind of Christ. Without that mind, we can't perceive and understand his will. So we need to allow him to do something in us which produces this complete change of mind. What is the pattern of this world that Paul warns us of? Think about that for a minute. What are the prevailing values and goals of our society? I know what they are for kind of people that I associate with. You've got to look after number one. No one else is going to take care of yourself, take care of your family. So you need to think about building up financial security. That's really important. Uncertain times. Who knows when the next financial crisis is coming? You've got to think about your retirement. Need to buy a home. Sell it, buy a bigger home. Sell it, buy a bigger home. Then buy a batch. Got a batch, you're going to need a boat.
Is any of that stuff intrinsically bad? No? Okay, you have a batch. Maybe. Looking out for yourself at the expense of others, that's not necessarily that good. It might be that it's God's will for you to have a batch in a boat. And I know people who have a batch in a boat, and I have been so blessed by their generosity in sharing it with me and countless other people. They are blessed to be a blessing, and they see it as a gift from God so that they can bless others. You know, look through numerous people in Scripture that God blessed financially. That's okay. Maybe God wants you to have a boat. Maybe he doesn't really care if you have a boat or not. It's not about the boat. It might be his will for you to be financially prudent and save away for your retirement. It also might be that he doesn't, and he has another plan for the resources that he's put in your hands, not to mention a plan for what you consider to be your retirement years. The issue here is not material possession, but where your heart is. And from where your heart is, that's where your mind will operate from. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 to 33, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of a field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. The point is, the path of a follower of Jesus is not about the pattern of the world and chasing their goals. Our path is that of Jesus, as his word and his spirit leads us. And where he may lead us is not always to a place and to circumstances that the world can understand or that our flesh can understand, and certainly that an unrenewed mind can understand. How much understanding did Jesus have that night in the garden? Did he have full knowledge in human form? Maybe he did. Some believe he did. Some believe he didn't. Whatever knowledge he had, there was still anguish within him. And he had to make a choice. And he had a choice. And it wasn't the first time he had that choice. The very start of his ministry. Out in the desert, the Spirit leads them out into the, into the wilderness. And the devil 
meets them there. And he lays this choice out before him. I will give you all the glory in all the kingdoms of the world. But you've got to bow to me. Knowing what was coming up a few years from then, that might have been an attractive option. But no, he knew his father. He trusted God's plan. And each day, he got up and he followed it. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, 30, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God works for the good of those who love him. What is the good that God is working? It's in that verse. It's not the good that the world offers us. It's not even necessarily the good that we want. But it's the only real good. To be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's something that we take through all eternity. That's something that will pay dividend through all eternity. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. The good that we receive from our trials, from our circumstances, It's determined by the level in which we're prepared to engage with that. Engage with him. Allow him to do a work in us. If we flee from his will, we're fleeing from the good he has for us. If we resist the work he's trying to do in us, if we fall into despair, we're falling away from the good that he has for us. The benefit, the good, the transformation into his likeness that he is offering us is found when we walk to him in our circumstances, trusting in him, trusting in his will. If we trust God and put ourselves in his hands, he will lead us through our circumstances for our ultimate good. Decision we have to make is, do we want what the world offers or do we want what God offers? And be honest with you, I do what I do want what the, the world offers. I want a good job. I want to earn well. I want to replace my dunger of a car. I would love to have a boat. That's okay. Do I want that over and above what he has for me? Because I know that coming up for me, I've got some big decisions to make. Some of them are going to be more attractive than others, certainly to my flesh. Am I going to chase and orient myself towards what the world has for me, for that pattern? Or will I allow him to continue to renew my mind and see the world around me through his eyes? 
and come to appraise the things of this world according to his values and see what it is that he's offering me and then choose the path which is less attractive to my flesh. Where is my heart truly? After committing myself for the last 15 years to serving him every day in his kingdom, is that going to change now? I'm not getting paid for it. That's what's actually before me now. The answer to that question, the question of whether we really want what the world offers or what if we want what he offers, the answer to that question will be determine whether our hearts are in a place to actually receive and recognize his will. The fact is, if we don't want it, we're not going to get it. So what do you really want in this life? Comfort? Worldly success? Good times? A boat? Or a better hope for the next life? The one that really counts? This is just a shadow of what we have to come. But we're locked in the thinking of this world because the material seems closer and, uh, and, and I guess is locked into the paradigm of our thinking. So we, it's hard to perceive the spiritual. But everything here is fleeting, it's passing, it's a vanity. But it's with a renewed mind that you can perceive it and start to live not just in the physical, but live first in the spiritual. And I've battled this my entire life in faith. And so every night as I put my boy to bed, I pray that over him. Lord, give him eyes to see what is real, to see into your kingdom, to see and live in the spirit first. I don't want him to struggle the way I have, the way I do. So I pray God would unlock his spirit and that that would be the strongest part of him. Jesus said in John 2, 15 to 17, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. How does God reveal his will to us? He reveals it in our relationship with him as he shows us who he is. He reveals his will through his son. We come to see and understand his will as our mind is renewed. And we are led into his will by his spirit. John 16, 13 to 15. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. 
You know who knows the will of God? The Spirit does. The Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? In you. That's right. In you. He goes where we go. We don't have to come here on a Sunday to, to meet him and find him. He goes with us always. But when God promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, that's literally what he has fulfilled. He is always with us in his spirit. The spirit that knows the will of the Father as Jesus has revealed it. Does he speak to you? You better believe he's trying to. Are you listening? That is, for me, for us all, a very pertinent question. Are we listening? Are there any shortcuts? Yes, actually, I, I, I think there is. There is a shortcut. Oh, I love shortcuts. There is a shortcut to receiving the will of God. But unfortunately, it's not a shortcut that we can take. God can take shortcuts and choose just to tell you stuff as and when he wants to. So you get a guy like Saul on the road to Damascus on his way to go and torment and persecute Christians. He didn't know the will of God. He was living in the opposite of the will of God. And God just grabs him and smacks him up the side of the head and just tells him what his will is, just like that. Awesome. I really wish he would do that to me more often. Sometimes he does, but not, not very often. Turns out he doesn't want to just make it easy for us. He wants us to grow through the process. Because ultimately it's about knowing him and walking with him and having to trust when we don't know. But he can take shortcuts. Uh, so yeah, from time to time he determines to reveal his will regardless of how well we know him and what we're doing. God can and does make his will known to people directly. Ephesians 1, 8 to 10, Paul says, With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when he, the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I kind of get why he did it with with Saul. He had big plans for Saul and Saul was going crazy in another direction and so God needed to pull him in. And I wish he would do that for me too. This is something that God can and does choose to do as he sees fit. But that doesn't mean we can't pray for it. As Paul did for the believers in Colossae and Ephesus. Colossians 1, 9-12, Paul prays, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. 
Paul, why is he praying this prayer that God is just going to just download his, this knowledge of his will? Uh, again, in Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. God responds to faith. He responds to prayer when, when we cry out to him. And not just when we cry out to him, but when others cry out to him on our behalf. That intercession. Paul prayed that prayer because he knew that God was listening. And that God's will is ultimately that we would come into his will. Paul prayed for the church in his day that God would reveal himself, he would reveal his will, just as God revealed himself to Paul. That is no doubt a prayer that we need to be praying for each other today. God has promised that when we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him. And when we find him, we will know him. And when we know him, we will know his will. When it all comes down to it, the question remains, do we want his will? If we do, then the path is laid out before us. We need to press into him, make him our priority, make his kingdom our priority prioritize our relationship with him, our time with him, time in his word, seeking him in his in the revelation of his son Jesus and through his Holy Spirit in us. And as we come to know him and our minds are renewed, then his will will become clear. And what then remains as we know his will is the daily choice to surrender our will to his. Our will under his. Knowing what God wants, knowing his plan is great, but it doesn't mean a thing if you're not going to submit to it. And that was the challenge that lay before Jesus in the garden that night. Go to the whip. Go to the cross. Or call down the armies of heaven and just smite everyone. I know which one I would have preferred to do. In this daily surrender, we will come to truly love God with all of our heart and with all of our mind. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to grab the hand or put your hand on the shoulder of the brother or sister next to you and we're going to pray for each other. And I want us to connect physically as we join our hearts and pray in unity together. Lord, we thank you this morning that your love is higher 
and deeper and wider and longer than we can see or reach. And that love has reached us. It has touched our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for the deposit of your love and your spirit that you've put in us. And we want more. We want more of you, Lord. We want to know this love in a deeper way than we currently do. We pray, Lord, as you open that revelation to us, Lord, that it would change us, it would transform us, and our heart would come to beat like yours does. Lord, as you continue to pour out your love and your word into our spirit, into our heart, Lord, I pray that that would renew our mind. And that would come to think with the mind of Christ that you've given us. Lord, I pray as we know you more and more, we would know your will for us. And I pray, Lord, for conviction, Lord, to submit to your will. Trusting you, trusting that you know best, trusting that you have us in hand and you will not let us fall. As Paul prayed, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. We pray for each other, Lord, that you would pour out revelation, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we may know you better. We pray that you would continually fill us with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit, your spirit, in us gives so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. That we would bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. That we may have great endurance and patience when we give thanks to you, the only one who can do this work. And thank you, Lord, that this is your will. That this is what we would come into. So Lord, whatever stumbling block, whatever impediment in us is holding us back from grasping this, Lord, rip it out. Rip it out, Lord. And lead us into glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.